coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy hump day to you. Uh, looks like we may have some rain moving through a little bit later today, which may affect my softball game, which may just totally free up my schedule. And while I really would hate for my softball game to get rained out, they'll just make it up another Wednesday. The Braves are playing at 5.07, and the game's at 7.30, and I feel like there's a conflict there, and my attention would be divided. And you see where I'm going with this, right? I, I want to see, A, the Braves win tonight, but I'd, I'd like to be able to see this happen as opposed to having to stop what I'm doing or watching the game to then go play softball and then find out between innings or after the fact what happened. I know such is life, right? Um, (laughs) anyway, don't cry for me, Argentina. Uh, this is the life I chose. Uh, want to thank from, uh, the bottom of my heart, the folks at uh, Georgia Windlist, a friend of the show, Melita Easters and, uh, acapella books the Carter Presidential Library, even the staff at Manuel's Tavern for the uh, pre-speaking engagement mixer that they hosted yesterday. Heather Cox Richardson, if you don't know her or follow her on social media yet, my gosh, what are you doing? You may even find that uh, this show is a lot less necessary if you follow her her social posts or her newsletter. And I I confess, I I catch her stuff every day. Uh, Anyway, her new book is out. It's called Democracy Awakening. Notes on the State of America. And she, of course, the author of the newsletter, Letters from an American. She is not only a wealth of knowledge about American history, she is also quite a quippy, funny lady. I really enjoyed her conversation yesterday with uh, Melita, that hour-long conversation taking place at the Carter Library. Uh, Speaking of acapella books and speaking engagements, they have another that's coming tomorrow, 7 p.m. at the Carter Presidential Library. They're bringing in Wall Street Journal reporter and author Cameron McWhorter to discuss his highly anticipated new book, American Gun, The True Story of the AR-15. He's going to appear in conversation with local uh, historian Joseph Crispino, Jimmy Carter Professor of History. Now, that event is free and open to the public. Copies of the book will be available for purchase at the venue as well. Uh, They say masks are optional. I'll uh, include details, a link in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Okay, so I know we have uh, activity in Washington. Apparently, the GOP has coalesced behind Steve Scalise, although that's just in their conference, not in open House voting. So we don't know that Steve Scalise will be the next Speaker of the House, but there seems to be some sort of coalescing behind Steve Scalise, the current number two in the Republican conference, to be the next Speaker of the House. Uh, We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, First things first, uh, the... WABE podcast political breakfast did drop uh, late yesterday afternoon. We have a little bit of that. Uh, let's start with uh, Theron Johnson, who had asked uh, the mayor, Andre Dickens, who appeared for an update on the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility. And here's his response. Yeah, thanks for that question, Theron. Uh, this is the Public Safety Training Center is a vital part of our public safety system. It's going to train police officers, firefighters, EMS, as well as E911 operators. And the course that's going to be there is going to train uh, individuals that drive our 
you know, our uh, sanitation vehicles or our other uh, pieces of equipment that we have to learn to drive on this course. And so this is a place where community and police and fire and others will, um, will, will learn together. And this is where we will get our safety and justice uh, balanced and trained. Uh, de-escalation is going to be taught there to our officers, anti-bias to overcome any implicit bias that people may have, Uh, how to resolve conflicts and, you know, just how to be a good community police officer. And the same for firefighters. Firefighters go into your home. They need to know who you are and how to treat you, how to have sensitivity. And so... This is the from the outcry of 2020 after George Floyd, everyone said we need more training. We need mm-hmm. to make sure that they're learning more and being more community wise and that we need more training on these things. Mm-hmm. I think that this response to that is to build a training facility that allows that training to take place. If you have dilapidated training, the, the previous place where police train is condemned. It was an old elementary school that we just were in there temporarily. It's condemned. Now our officers are taking up space a little bit at a, at a uh, community college. Uh, they, they, that's just a temporary use. But we, our firefighters, are, their place is condemned. And so now where we are, there is, you know, all the utilities are going in out there. The roads are going in right now. Uh, curb and gutter is going in. So you have a sewer system out there, a water system, retention ponds. You've got the uh, the grounds are ready. We will start uh, laying foundation for the buildings pretty soon in the, in the uh, winter. And pretty soon you'll be done with some of this and we'll be on our way. There is a a group of people that disagree with the Public Safety Training Center. And they have a right to disagree, and I've never denied them that right. I've always said I want to hear from everybody. Hear from, sure. Listen to, eh, not so much. Okay, but here's where conservative Brian Robinson decided to chime in with something he thought was going to be cutesy, tongue-in-cheeksy. And and none of them uh, who haven't thrown Molotov cocktails at police officers or set equipment on fire have been arrested. Right? (laughs) Right. None of them. All of those people who have opinions opposed to yours, and frankly mine, None of them have been arrested. And so this idea that their First Amendment rights are being violated just doesn't hold water to me. <laughs> the Atlanta Solidarity 3 would like to have a word with you, Brian Robinson. Jackass. Yeah, you're right, Brian. There, I mean, we've been very careful to say <laughs> everybody that I say peaceful protester. You could be a loud protester. You could be someone that holds signs, yell. But if you throw a mm-hmm. Molotov cocktail, if you burn up a police car or police motorcycles or throw fireworks or accelerants at police officers, mm-hmm. then you are an arsonist or going to be charged with arson. And they're going to make sure that you get arrested because you're, you're a danger to people, including yourself. And you are damaging property. And so there's all types of, you know, uh, vandalism charges, et cetera. So as we got past those violent individuals and those have been arrested and they are waiting to stand trial, there's voices that are just dissenting. They say they don't want it. And so they go they want about a petition process and they have to gather 58000 signatures that are valid Atlanta voters. That process is taking place. And I've stated clearly, I want to know. What's in those boxes that they brought? Would love to see how many people signed on to this that are legitimate Atlanta voters that are of age and are residents of the city. But my calculation, based on all the polling we've done and all the conversations I have, everywhere I go, 
the, there is a silent majority, and that silent majority are people who say we want our police officers and firefighters to be well trained, and they need uh, equipment and tools and training to be able to protect and serve me as an individual. Everybody's saying that, and they just are afraid to go vocal with that because they have seen intimidation tactics, and, and they weren't really aware that this was even an, an, a debate. Intimidation tactics like getting arrested, being dragged out of the home that you're living in, uh, working for the organization that you live in and fundraising for, that kind of intimidation? Are you serious, Mr. Mayor? Also, this notion that there are those who just don't want any public safety training facility or upgrades of facilities or equipment or tactics, that is nonsense. It is not a binary situation, sir. It is not an on-off, A, B, black, white, one, two scenario. There are nuances. For example, as I've said numerous times on this show, Fulton County as well wants to build a public safety training facility to the tune of $15.15 million. The city of Atlanta, however, wants to build one to the tune of $90 million. Also, in DeKalb County, outside city limits. And oh, by the way, happened to run into a DeKalb County commissioner yesterday, and it seems a little quirky to them that the DeKalb County law enforcement agencies won't have access to the public safety training facility, or at least haven't been given or negotiated access to this training facility outside city limits, but in their county. Let's get back to what the mayor said, because I take issue with this too. Now, there are some folks that have made it a big issue, and um, I'm just sad that it's national news uh, that Atlanta is on the front being talked about by people who really don't care much about Atlanta, but they're being political mm. about the conversation. <laughs> I... Okay, sorry, I am in Atlanta. I have lived in Atlanta since 2018. I was born and raised in the state of Georgia, sir, back in 1974. Uh, and I kind of care about Atlanta. And that it's national news has more to do with the fact that there hasn't been much in the way of transparency about this project. Uh, again, a DeKalb County commissioner yesterday told me point blank that there wasn't a whole lot of transparency from the outset and that there are some regrets on votes over there as well. The transparency has been slow to come forward. The conversation, the deliberation, the equivocation, and again, the off-ramps, Fulton County's $15 million facility, there's some collaboration that could be had there, right? That would please everybody. Atlanta would get what they needed. This police department would get what they needed. Fulton County would probably get an enhanced a facility by collaborating with the city of Atlanta. Environmentalists who want to protect the forest that's already been raised and we've heard sewer systems and gutters are now getting in there and foundations being poured despite the fact that this isn't settled and that there's likely going to be a referendum in March. But hey, Katie bar the door, keep building the damn thing, right? Yeah, so I mean, I keep, I keep coming back to the transparency of it all because I just have to wonder, man, with other options that exist... Options that would pretty much please everybody, at least 85, 90%. Why is it this piece of property? Why is it that amount of money? Why is, why is it that particular? Explain it to me like I'm a child, Mr. Mayor, because honestly, I don't get it. I don't get why you're so steadfast on that piece of property that is so contentious. You know it's contentious. It's not just become contentious. It's been contentious. And you're just steadfast in your, nope, got to be here, got to be here. But what about, nope, got to be there, got to be there. But what about, nope, got to spend this much. Why? Who 
is gaining from this? Who is gaining from all this contentiousness? It would have been a lot quieter and off the national radar, for example, had it landed in Fulton County. I'm just going to come back to this, said, you know what? We both need to build something. We've got $15 million. What if you had $15 million and we just doubled it up and built a really nice facility in, get this, city limits, Fulton County and Atlanta limits. And speaking of the transparency part, host Lisa Rayum did ask this follow-up question. We'll get the answer to it after the break. What, what about Senator Raphael Warnock, though, and, and that letter he sent you? And he was siding with some of the opponents who said they want the, the process to be more transparent. They wish it had been more transparent. Were you offended by that letter, or did you receive that and, and, and take it into account what, what Senator Raphael Warnock was trying to say? We will get that answer after the break. Ha! Sorry, I have to hold you over, but I have to hold you over because I get a certain amount of time per segment, and I'm uh, 10 seconds away. So anyway, we'll get that answer from Mayor Andre Dickens after the break. The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Wednesday. In the next segment, not this one, the next one, James Major Woodall, Reverend James Major Woodall, Public Policy Associate at the Southern Center for Human Rights, founder CEO of the Major Wish Group, LLC, and former state president of the Georgia NAACP, uh, and an associate minister at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in Marietta, I may want to remind you, uh, will join the show. Going to talk with him. I have been profoundly moved, by the way, uh, with some of what he's shared on social media in recent days. And in the last few days, you've, you've heard me talk a little bit about the uh, Israel-Palestine flight, and I think many of you may be hearing a conversation from a point of view that I don't think American culture gets enough of, honestly. And there's also some nuggets that came, speaking of Heather Cox Richardson, who was in Atlanta last night, saw her at the Carter Presidential Library. There were some notes in her newsletter today that sort of insinuated that the Biden speech we got yesterday uh, about that conflict may have characterized the conversations between he and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, in less harsh terms than the actual conversations were. I'll uh, I'll share some of that with you and with him when we talk with him next segment. We are uh, back discussing Mayor Andre Dickens yesterday appearing on WABE's Political Breakfast. Let's go back to the question that Lisa Rayum asked that I left you hanging like a cliffhanger on some soap opera, right? Here's that question again. What about Senator Raphael Warnock, though, and, and that letter he sent you? And he was siding with some of the opponents who said they want the, the process to be more transparent. They wish it had been more transparent. Were you offended by that letter, or did you receive that and and, and take it into account what, what Senator Raphael Warnock was trying to say? Yeah, I mean, Senator Warnock is someone I call a friend. Uh, I campaigned for him twice. It worked out. And he he and I, through this process, have talked about the Public Safety Training Center. He is not opposed to it. He did not write in his letter, I oppose the Public Safety Training Center. Hang on a second. He's not saying, oh boy, that's, you know, Mr. Mayor. And if I'm Senator Raphael Warnock, I'm like, dude, I didn't I didn't authorize you to say what whether I'm for or against. Again, this goes back to how many of us are for a public safety training center versus that plot of land in DeKalb County, outside city limits, much contested, being the site of the Atlanta public safety training facility? Mr. Mayor, I'm catching you on this, man. 
Mm-hmm. He has called the city of Atlanta Police Department for a few things. Ebenezer was vandalized by people that are being held accountable right now, that it is going to be a case made that they are involved in this same protest and other things that he's called for. So he's not anti-police and nor is he against the Public Safety Training Center. He raised mm. questions, which, quite frankly, he, he and I have had conversations about prior to the letter. He raised questions that his team had asked him about uh, transparency and about a cure uh, for if someone uh, says their signature wasn't validated, how do they cure it? How do they go back and say, no, my name is Bob Jones. I actually did sign that. Or my name is Bob Jones and they said I signed it and I actually didn't sign it. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to know what the cure was. I, you know, the clerk's office and people have verbally given him that in mm-hmm. several meetings and given his team that. Um, I think they're, they've had, you know, close to a handful of conversations. Uh, yeah, he still sent the letter. I think he was um, asked to and felt compelled to to make sure he was on the record about voters' rights and transparency. Let's stop here for a second. He's kind of saying that I gave him that answer and verbally so. And for some reason, he still felt compelled to write the letter and maybe he was pressured to write the letter. We responded. The response is um, actually met all the requests that he's made. We've met all the requests that others have made about a cure process, about counting, not doing an exact match. We have never said that the city of Atlanta would do an exact match, that Andre Dickens sometimes, you know, just signs it as Andre or AD or whatever. We're not going to go for that. Maiden names or name changes. Your name might have changed over the last 20 years. (laughs) That's not how we verify signatures. But they were great, uh, happy to hear that, even though we verbally told it to them. We put it in writing. Now that's kind of quieted down because, you know, the truth was in the writing and we responded and let them know, hey, we love our dialogues, and if you got to take it to writing, we can too. And we responded. Yeah, the mayor of Atlanta just kind of bowed up at Senator Raphael Warnock. Anyway, let me let you get a listen to this next riff. The central argument was about public safety. Now, we've moved from, we want to defund the police. Now they're like, uh-oh, nobody's buying that anymore. Uh, we actually need police. We don't need a public <laughs> safety training center. Uh-oh. People actually want police to be trained. Okay. Okay. So now they don't want it over there. Uh oh, that's the only place we can put it. Wait a minute. First of all, uh, <laughs> he is a Democrat. He knows full damn well that the defund the police moniker was harangued by the right. I mean, that is so disingenuous. I, this guy's going to have a struggle getting reelected. I firmly believe this. He's going to have a strong challenge on his hands. And, and again, this straw man argument about, well, we're arguing against a training facility or against better training. No, the, the question is, why are you so steadfast on the one location only? Why are you in the Atlanta Police Foundation so steadfast on that one particular location? It's surely kind of curious, is it not, when other options have presented themselves? Then it's, okay, we want to have a petition process. Go for the petition. Now we got the boxes, and we're reviewing them. Now, all of a sudden, we're way down here on who's a good Democrat or not. Well, a a good Democrat would actually want the voters to have a say if they've presented enough signatures to do so. So instead of dealing with the legal mumbo-jumbo and all the challenges and the hoops you've made folks jump through, be a good Democrat and just put the referendum on a ballot. Here's what I was listening to this entire podcast for, however. 
How does yeah. the Johnny Holloman case boost your argument for a, a training center? And for those who aren't familiar with it, the case of John Holloman has, uh, it's been in the news a lot lately. He's the church deacon who was cited after a minor traffic accident. He refused to sign the citation uh, and was then tased. He later died, and just this week they ruled it a homicide, saying that he was stunned, but it also had heart disease, so the, the combination of the two caused his death. How does that bolster your argument that our police need to be trained better? So let me start by saying, uh, the last few days I've been giving Mayor Andre Dickens a hard time about bringing this up or having that sort of pivot in the dialogue. It turns out the question was asked by Lisa Ram, so I got a finger wag to Miss Lisa. I don't think that was a an appropriate question to ask, honestly. Yeah, I mean, this is a sad situation. I mean, Deacon Johnny Hallman did not have to die. So actually, I'm about 20 seconds out before I've got to take this break, and I want to give the mayor's answer its full opportunity to breathe. So we will pick back up on that because I literally want to give the mayor his due, and I think you should hear his response as well. Reverend James Major Woodall joins us as well. The Ron Show back after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Take The Ron Show wherever you go. Download the America One Radio app to your smartphone and listen on the go. Or in traffic wishing you were on the go. The Ron Show on America One Radio. All right, so in about uh, nine, ten minutes or so, Reverend James Major Woodall joins us to close out the show to discuss uh, the Israeli-Palestine skirmish. It's a skirmish. It's a full-out war now. But I want to pick up on the conversation we were having, uh, just listening to a little bit of uh, WABE's political breakfast yesterday. Uh, that dropped uh, late in the afternoon. I believe it was recorded before then. Um, Mayor Andre Dickens, speaking about the Johnny Holman situation, uh, Lisa Ram tried to frame the discussion around Cop City with uh, with his particular stop. I'm grateful, and, and again, I, I gave the mayor a hard time about this for a couple of days, thinking, uh, just based on her tweet, that he may have used that scenario to pivot to cop sitting. It turns out she framed the question. Anyway, I want you to hear what the mayor said because there's some news in how APD is going to handle cases like this going forward. Yeah, I mean, this is a sad situation. I mean, Deacon Johnny Hallman did not have to die. He deserved to live like all of us. Again, I am someone who believes that life is precious. And he was in a car accident and he was going to get a ticket for his role in that car accident, and he he didn't want that ticket. And so I think that it's unfortunate that as a result of a traffic accident on a regular day in Atlanta that a mm-hmm. man lost his life. I've talked to his family about it and expressed that to them, how sad I am for them, and we've provided them support and help with the funeral and all sorts of things, uh, food, et cetera. It still won't bring back Mr. Hallman, and I'm saddened by that. The mayor making a little bit of news about change in procedure here. Take a listen. What I I ordered was a top-to-bottom review of our traffic stop processes, our traffic Mm -hmm. violations. What happens in the past is you got two options. You sign this ticket or you go to jail. Mm -hmm. Mr. Hallman didn't want either. He didn't want the ticket, and he didn't want to go to jail. So what do you do next? Well, we came up with a third after a thorough review is you could just, hey, we just checked the, the officer just checked the box, refused to sign. And so you refuse to sign. That doesn't mean that you're not guilty of having this car accident or speeding or whatever the um, traffic violation is. 
you're going to get a ticket in the mail. And it's just going to say, hey, you broke a traffic rule and you got to go to court about it or you can pay your fine. Everybody goes home. Unfortunately, everybody goes home. Johnny Harmon was this incident allowed us the rationale to make that look into how to change the policy. Mm. And that policy is going to help no one else have this type of interaction that led to his death. Another bone of contention, obviously, the lack of a release of the body-worn camera footage. The family has asked for it to be made public. They've seen it, but he explains why it's not gone public just yet. You know, his family has been allowed to see the body-worn camera along with their attorney. Mayor, you've seen the video, right? And the family is trying to get that video public. You, you've seen it from beginning to end, right? Yeah, I was afforded the ability to see that just recently. And now the family is going to be able to as well. And, and just to go through that um, for your listeners, the witnesses are still out on, on body-worn camera footage. And so if you are someone who wants justice, you don't want the public seeing the video before witnesses can give their testimony to the DA, the GBI, the independent investigators, because, you know, you want a first-hand reaction to it by the witness. You want a direct... So the family has been told that just recently, and they met with the DA for her to express that to them. This is not a city of Atlanta decision to show the video or not, to make it public or not. We showed the video... The police department and the city attorney showed the video directly to the family to make it public. There are still one or two people that were left to interview as witnesses, mm -hmm. and you want them to come and get interviewed before you make it publicly aware. He also shared new policy guidance on the release of body cam footage. There's a new policy that we have in place that now gives families or individuals more clarity on when body-worn camera footage will be available, and that, that policy is set by the DA now. So it's no longer, it happened yesterday, and people saying, show the video. Well, the DA is clear. I got to interview these witnesses, and so we'll do a checkpoint at the latest with 60 days. And today is the 60th day since that incident, mm -hmm. which kind of gives you an indication of why things are starting to come out now. Incidentally, the police officer in that particular traffic stop was yesterday fired from the Atlanta Police Department. We have the APD statement on that firing, that termination in yesterday's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Speaking of a new APD policy, he also announced this yesterday. I am encouraged to hear this. One of the things that we are also doing is relieving officers of having to deal with regular traffic violations here, here. to reduce the number of officers that are responding to I had a fender bender I want that officer still being out there dealing with violent crime right so now what we're doing is we are creating a civil response unit mm -hmm. so this will be unarmed non-sworn individuals that will ride around in a city vehicle mm -hmm. with amber lights not blue lights or red lights they will go out and they can give you your stuff that you need for your insurance. Mm -hmm. They'll take pictures of your of your uh, traffic scene, your accident scene, and they'll say, "Hey, on you know, they'll give you a piece of paper and say, at noon on X date, this is what happened. The weather conditions are this or that, and this is what we see in this thing. A fender bender occurred. Police officers are normally out there 45 minutes mm -hmm. to an hour dealing with." a fender bender or some other traffic violation. Now you'll have a citizen that is an employee of the city 
that won't be armed, so we won't have any of these kind of cases where someone has a, um, a difficult or harmful interaction with a law enforcement officer. Meanwhile, that law enforcement officer has 45 minutes back where they will be patrolling you know, the area, having more visibility, so we reduce violent crime and car thefts and home invasions and break-ins. This is going to be um, a game changer. We got 12 that we're hiring for the first round, and we'll see how this goes, and we may hire more. Officers have to go through 33 weeks of training. These individuals are going to be trained in something less than a month. And guess what? If you're in a fender bender and they're writing you a ticket and you speed off, that's fine. We got your tag number. <laughs> we'll find you later. You just gave we'll us permission you. to speed off. <laughs> I don't want you doing that, Lisa. But, uh, <laughs> credit where credit's due. That is a brilliant stroke. You know what else that is? Uh, sort of a, a defund. Well, I mean, it's not because defund the police was never about defunding the police. It was about allocating resources away from armed officers towards other services that police officers have been made to take care of that they necessarily shouldn't be made to take care of. Police officers are not mental health evaluators, and we need mental health evaluators showing up to crime scenes often, right? To a lot of domestic disputes, this, that, and the other. So, yeah, that's that's a brilliant stroke, but I, I hate to point this out. It is sort of defundy. Anyhow, hats off to Police Chief Sherbaum and Mayor Andre Dickens for that new policy. All right, Reverend James Major Woodall gets the last 15 minutes of the show. We're going to talk about a variety of stuff, including Palestine Israel. That's next on The Ron Show, the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show, final segment for the day. By the way, the Political Breakfast podcast from WABE, I'll have a link to that so you can listen to that in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. A lot more of the conversation with Mayor Andre Dickens. That's somewhat newsworthy, so enjoy that in your leisure. Heather Cox Richardson's notes in her newsletter and post at Facebook yesterday included uh, these two paragraphs. The president, Joe Biden's speech, was not without notice to Israel's Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, who has vowed fierce retribution against all the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip for the actions of Hamas. Biden said that in a recent phone call, the two had discussed, quote, how democracies like Israel and the United States are stronger and more secure when we act according to the rule of law. Terrorists purposely targeting civilians kill them. We uphold the laws of war, Biden said. Laws that prohibit deliberate targeting of civilians and require proportionate responses, quote, it matters. There is a difference. She went on to say Monica Alba, Carol E. Lee, and Peter Nicholas of NBC News reported the conversations were stronger than Biden's speech indicated, with Biden warning Netanyahu that the U.S. will be watching closely for blowback to excessive force, especially if such force kills civilians. Joining me to discuss the situation in uh, Israel, the uh, Palestinian and Israel conflict, and from from a point of view that I don't really feel like we get enough of in this country is uh, Reverend James Major Woodall. Uh, Reverend Woodall has uh, worked with the Southern Center for Human Rights, uh, is the founder CEO of the Major Wish Group, state, former state president of the Georgia NAACP, also former military man in the U.S. Army for eight years and associate minister at Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in Marietta. Did I get all that right or is there some more that I need to throw in there? The only thing that really matters is the fact that I'm, my name is James and I'm a I'm an American citizen who, who cares about justice. Yeah, I appreciate that, sir. Well, listen, um, we got the Braves game to get to here, so we're going to make this kind of quick. Uh, 
first things first, I, I I follow you on Twitter or X or whatever the heck we're calling it now. And and I noticed that you are one of the lone voices that I'm even seeing from the Christian side of uh, the American discussion on what's happening in Israel that is actually showing some empathy towards the Palestinian citizen. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's for a number of reasons. One, particularly when we think about uh, the American lens in this part, in this particular con- uh, conflict, it oftentimes is mirrored in ideologies that may not ever be really nuanced. Meaning, you know, a lot of Americans don't really understand the history of this 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 crisis, right? And they may not even be connected to people who are living in Israel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, even people who are, you know, American Palestinians, American Jewish uh, uh, folks. They are looking at, you know, very high level, very generic, very traditional, you know, conversations about what's happening. And so for me, you know, one, having a military background and being exposed to what has you know, taken place for uh, now several decades, several hundreds of years, even. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, it's been over 5000 years, mm-hmm. but. Looking at it from a, a variety of lenses, um, from the human rights perspective, from a military perspective, from a moral perspective, um, and as well as a, diploma, a diplomacy perspective. And so there's a lot of nuance that I think is lacking in this conversation. And I also see, you know, an attempt for people to kind of be silenced into a blind kind of endorsement of yes. one side or the other. Um, and I, I've never operated that way. I'm, I'm my own thinker. I, you know, I read. And I'm able to understand a density of information. Mm. And even I don't have all of the facts. I don't have all of the, you know, the sides, quote unquote. But what I do know is quite simply what we are seeing uh, in terms of war is unjust and is, is evil. And so I, I've made it very clear that regardless of where one, you know, finds themselves on this question of, you know, is this the, the empire, the British empire's fault? Is this? The current state of Israel's fault is just the government's fault. Is it's it's really none of that. It's really my stance is I'm anti-violence. I'm anti-human rights violations. I'm anti-genocide and apartheid. I'm anti-racism, mm-hmm. and I'm pro-human. And so I don't stand with any government. I don't stand with any state. I stand with the people of this world being able to live and breathe and and and, and be free uh, in liberty and justice. I free. You know what? The whole time I'm, I was trying to secure uh, having you on the show, I felt myself saying, "You know what? I feel like I just need to talk to this guy. I feel like he's going to make me feel better." And I, it, it just it does. It literally feels better to hear somebody else kind of talking from a point of view. When you mention apartheid uh, and racism and genocide, you know these are things that we should all come to an agreement on that we abhor, and yet it doesn't seem like we're all on the same page with that. It, it, and, and explaining to folks that Hamas doesn't equal Palestine any more than the MAGA movement represents all of the United States, I think seems to get lost in the conversation. Would you agree with that? I would. And, and part of that is because we're seeing, particularly in America, a disintegration of public education, yeah. of critical thought, of an ability to comprehend reading, um, and quite frankly, even reading itself. And so when you have a population of people that are unable and or unwilling to have critical dialogue mm. about the issues of our day and our time. I mean, it's even reflected in our discourse around mass incarceration here in the, in the United States. Right. And so thinking about 
how folks in, in around the world have, have described what's happening in specifically as, as being described as an open prison, mm. right? Like we do that here in America. Yep. And so I don't have an expectation that people who don't know how to read, who to engage quickly in thought and in discourse, who do not have an empathy for people, even in our own country, in our mm. own backyard, who are literally being killed by police, right? The state institutions that we are supposed to be protected by not having empathy for the same kind of situation that's happening uh, thousands of miles across the world. It's so interesting. And by the way, we're on with Reverend James Major Woodall. Uh, and uh, it's so interesting that I noticed the parallels between those who are uh, part of the Stop Cop City movement. I see that a lot of that social media uh, chatter from that movement actually showing some empathy as well for the Palestinian people. Again, not Hamas. Not Hamas, but I see a lot of folks pushing back. Well, you know, if you're defending Hamas, nobody's defending Hamas. I don't see anybody defending Hamas from the left of center point of view, but I do see empathy for the Palestinian people. And I, again, I noticed that there seems to be a little bit of correlation with the Stop Cop City movement and uh, empathy towards the uh, Palestinian people in Gaza. Have you seen that as well? I, I have to a degree, but what I'll say is that. Um there, there, there is a very narrow view of history that is really being promulgated in public uh, conversations around this crisis right now. And you, you think about the dynamic that says governments represent its people, right? Mm-hmm. And governments are democratically elected. Those are the norms in which we for centuries have espoused in the international community as a, the United States of America. And so a lot of people use that context. They use that lens. And it's, it's, it's quite frankly, not fair. Because mm. uh, when you think about democracy, democracy is a very new project. It is something that even here in this country is crumbling. Yeah, we don't I get believe. it right. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't get it right. And so to believe that a, uh, a government who has killed, right, and I'm referencing Hamas, mm. right, from a historical, not, not putting any value in this other than the fact that people's lives have been taken, mm. but Hamas has killed its opposition leaders, right? Those who have who have threatened their power, right. and we have not seen an election in that uh, uh, Palestinian for years, mm. right? And considering the people that are dying right now ha- have not had an opportunity to vote, over half of them are being you know under the age of eighteen, and so there's a context that we are not referencing nor acknowledging, and instead, what what I am hearing is that people need to be decimated or the Palestinians need to be erased from the face of the earth, which is very uh, Islamophobic because when you think about the Arabs, you think about the Jews that live there, you you think about the people who are are living there. This is not purely a Jewish issue. This is not purely a Muslim issue. This is a humanitarian crisis issue that literally goes back thousands of years. And without that, context, then it becomes simply a blind endorsement of terrorism and or genocide. And so, you know, I think a lot of people who have been uh, engaged in the cop city movement, a lot of them have been identified as terrorists. And Mm. and what I'm not saying is what Hamas did is in any way, shape or form, anything other than terrorism, because I believe that that was terrorism through and through. With that said, I also engage a moment where people are being considered terrorists here in this country that are fighting for the liberation of people in our communities here in the States. And so I see that, uh, that word and that terminology charged 
uh, often at people who dissent from the status quo of the political establishment. And you're seeing in real time, right, before this, this moment even took place, uh, the entire world was concerned about what was happening in Israel, not because of Hamas or even Hezbollah, mm. but they were concerned about what was happening on behalf of the uh, Israeli government because of Netanyahu. And so that's another pop, uh, you know, political context that we're not talking about that Israel uh, citizens on the ground are. Mm -hmm. So I would be interested in seeing what some of the people actually in Israel right now who these acts are, have been taken out on behalf of are actually saying. And because of what I've seen is that people in Israel, the Israeli Jews, right, and some Israeli Palestinians, as well as some Israeli Arabs, they are just as concerned with what the government of Israel has done in which they have not justified an escalation of force that almost a tri uh, amounts to human rights violations, war crimes, and a part of genocide. I, and that's what I've I, seen from Israeli Jews, yeah, right, or yeah. Israeli citizens. I so, just I feel I fail to see where we're just indiscriminate bombing and uh, turning off power and not clean water and denial of services and harassing at, at checkpoints and and bombing uh, evacuation routes. To I just fail to see how this uh, brings about peace, other than to intimidate. Well, I don't think it's just for intimidation's purposes because if it were, we wouldn't see almost five thousand uh, Palestinians uh, killed over the course of the last say 15 20 years right. using the exact same tactics that we have not talked about secondly i would also say that using you know phosphorus bombs and and chemical agents that we have uh, all agreed as an international community are against the human norms in which we agreed upon in the oslo Accords as well as the geneva convention and those things are being used right now by the government of israel and so when, when we think about the intent um, and the impact of what's happening, one must only question or raise the question about what the intent is. And the intent can't be concluded to be anything other than the total extermination of Palestinians genocide. Uh, in this world. Yeah, genocide. Well, listen, I only have about two and a half minutes with you left, so uh, I thought I'd share just a little bit of time with you, by the way, to congratulate you on Baby Woodall coming uh, in December, correct? Yeah, he'll be here in December. I'm sorry, month eight right now. Today. I'm loving that, man. And, and I see you, you've already decided that Baby Woodall is going to be a Falcon fan. He has no choice. <laughs> His family's from, from Louisiana, but he, we don't do Saints football. No, we don't. Here. No, we do not. Uh, my apologies to our friend Jerrica Erickson up in, uh, 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 in, up in uh, Cobb County. But uh, you are a, a big Desmond Ritter fan. You think he's the guy, huh? Well, I, I am a Desmond Ritter fan, and I think, you know, being a quarterback in the National Football League is, is very uh, challenging, and we're seeing the ups and downs of that development, right? Mm -hmm. um, I've said it even about other quarterbacks that are, you know, are popular, like Shador Sanders, where he's having some difficulty in, you know, some of the fundamentals of the quarterbacking position. Right. But, you know, it, it's a process, right? It's, it's going to be ups and downs, but what you're seeing is a development that is actually – being considerably effective. And so using his eyes, his footwork, his timing, his ability to put the ball in tight spaces or not turn the ball over, right? Where yeah. you see like the likes of Justin Fields or or others. And so I'm excited to see, you know, what comes about. I think he is going to be a very, you know, 
very fundamentally flawed quarter. I mean, a fundamentally sound quarterback. Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, that footwork was, uh, I think, key in seeing his uh, his mobility come into play last week. I think that was a big part of his success. Uh, all right, so I got sixty seconds. What are the Braves going to do today, and how are we going to pull this series out? Well, we'll see. Um, I'm hoping we can start fast and keep pressure up on yeah. Aaron Nola in that in that defense. Take but, the crowd uh, out of it. Yeah, well, keep the crowd in because we want to we want to be the be the villains that we know we can be <laughs> in terms of going into Philadelphia. So we'll see. Fingers crossed that we pull out with the win and come back uh, tomorrow or the next day and, and and see Spencer's try to dominate once again. All right, Reverend James Major Woodall, thank you so much for the time today. I appreciate you bringing some context to this discussion. It was an important one, and, and I'm not just talking about Desmond Ritter and the Braves. I'm talking, of course, about what's going on overseas. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining the Ron Show. I appreciate you as well. Thank Bye-bye. you, sir. Have a good one. You too. That is literally going to do it for the Ron Show. You hear me? As the music's playing, it's time to go, and the call is just ended. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Show notes for you at RonShowATL.com. Go Braves. See you tomorrow.